The following program contains scenes and language of a frank and explicit nature. Viewer discretion is advised. Hello and welcome to Film Jitsu, the podcast that wields films like deadly weapons. We are your hosts. I am Mike. And I am Jay. On this week's episode of Film Jitsu, we get the most Gutenberg-y we've ever gotten as Jason has to watch, thanks to a roll of the dice, Police Academy 4, Citizens on Patrol. Because once you've had three Police Academies, why stop there? <laughs> We're going to do our bottom five movie cops. We'll give you some staff picks before Jason reveals what we have in store for our next episode of Film Jitsu. But before all that, I, I guess roll a trailer? Those talented graduates are back in Police Academy. Oh! I want to welcome all of you to... Citizens on Patrol. Citizens on Patrol. The Police Academy has offered to train you citizens... You just don't think I'm fast enough anymore, do you? ...to better protect yourselves. Do we get to pack heat? Attention all cars, attention all cars. Mahoney. Gee, I love saying that. Jones. Five dollar. Sweet Chuck. Zed. And Tackleberry. Good idea. Police Academy 4, Citizens on Patrol. Now be careful, because a 44 Magnum has quite a <laughs> kick. See it in your neighborhood while you still have one. Jason, the Police Academy movies came out in the 1980s when we were all having a big laugh with the police. Here we are in a more modern time when maybe the police aren't quite as funny. And I wonder if we're going to talk about that at all. But what I do know is that the Police Academy movies, by my recollection... Were, were a real laugh riot. They were they were real Bobcat Goldweighty, all kinds of Michael Winslow making all kinds of bells and whistles yeah. and what have you. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure if I stop to think about it, probably a lot more homophobia than anybody's comfortable with. But sure. I'm not the one who has to recall because you had the displeasure of sitting down and watching the movie. So yeah. do tell, how does Police Academy 4, Citizens on Patrol, <laughs> look in the light of day? You know... Police Academy 4, I remember as being a lot better than it actually is. <laughs> In fact, it is a really, really bad movie. A startlingly bad, <laughs> ill-plotted mess of a movie. It takes the same exact formula as the preceding three movies and regurgitates that. Somehow, Steve Gutenberg continued to be in these movies even this far along. Although I think with each movie... As you get further along, and he's game, by the way, he is game. He's still doing the same exact shtick, which is a little surprising because he he only has one note as an actor. It's this sort of wry, hmm, you know. <laughs> Diet Bill Murray. He's yeah. Diet Bill Murray. Well, <laughs> I guess that would be true. He definitely ha doesn't have as anywhere near the cynicism or the sort of yep. darkness that Bill Murray can conjure, but mm -hmm. Gutenberg is is you know he was he was here and he was game for it, which is surprising. Sure, but he was in a limited capacity, and I think over those those movies, as you go from two to three, he's in a smaller and smaller capacity, and it becomes more and more of an ensemble piece to the point where it's really just 
a Saturday Night Live episode. I mean, it's an hour and a half yeah. long, and it's a series of skits with a bunch of familiar characters. And you're like, oh, Michael Linzel is going to come out and do kung fu noises again. Or Leslie Easterbrook's going to jump out of the water and have a wet t-shirt <laughs> and everybody's going to clap. You know, I mean, like it was the yep. same. It, it was startling to me just how much it was the same thing over and over again. But the central concept here was actually kind of interesting and moved the plot in a curious way. So like the actual, <laughs> and I'm dead serious about that. I actually thought as bad as this movie is, the concept was a neat one, but it was like <laughs> this time around, it's the same old police Academy crew, but they're tasked with Commandant Lassard's latest brain fart, which is a neighborhood patrol campaign that'll train ordinary people into becoming police. It's called Citizens on Patrol. Get it? Cop. I, I get it. Cop. Yeah. Oh. Citizens on Patrol. <laughs> Look soon, at that. And soon enough, Mahoney and company and some new cadets, David Spade in his film oh. debut, Brian Backer, who was Mark Ratner from Fast Times at Richmond High, and mm -hmm. Billy Bird, who's a that veteran TV and movie actress who to me was always the golden girl that never was. She was yeah, she was yeah. best known to me as Miss Cassidy in the mid-80s sitcom Benson, starring mm -hmm. Robert Guillaume, tagging along as an intrepid news reporter and Mahoney's sort of love interest, who it's later revealed is also a vintage biplane pilot. <laughs> like you do. <laughs> like one sure. does. It's none other than a pre-basic instinct Sharon Stone. So <laughs> I know. How, how does Sharon Stone keep coming into your film Jitsu life over and over and over again? It's not a bad thing. I'm not going to complain it's about not, it. I actually it's really not. like it's, her. I know. But anyway, the, the, together, the, the cops and the COPS cops, the Citizen on mm -hmm. Patrol, endure the hazing of old nemesis Captain Harris and his idiot henchman Proctor, who desperately want the Citizens on Patrol program to fail and reveal Lassard and crew as frauds or whatever. <laughs> Though Harris is always the bad guy, he seems to have like mm -hmm. no motivation beyond just hating the core cast of characters <laughs> since movie one <laughs> and wanting to see them as embarrassed as he always ends up. And when the cops blow an undercover sting operation that was months in the making by storming a warehouse filled with stolen goods, Harris gets his chance to bury his enemies. But all of it's undone by the wackiest third act I think I've ever seen. It's whoa! It's a jailbreak that started by Randall Tex Cobb. Remember him from Raising Arizona? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's the one that was riding the motorcycle. It was just absolutely horrifying. Anyway. Killing bunnies and everything. <laughs> so Randall Tex Cobb is in jail and he's pl he plays a game of Simon Says with Proctor that ends up freeing a ninja clan and other assorted bad guys that need to be rounded up by the heroes. And these nefarious types end up in a bank robbery that's thwarted by Tackleberry and Mrs. Feldman, the old lady played by <laughs> Billy Bird. They end up on a tall ship where Jones, Michael Winslow, and Callahan, um, you know, that's Leslie Easterbrook, 
use the slowest kung fu moves in history to stop the ninjas. These ninjas <laughs> just basically stand around while Winslow makes kung fu noises and kicks them in the head. And, yeah. and then, and then, incredibly, there's a hot air balloon race. <laughs> the thieves get into hot air balloons, and they get chased by the cops in biplanes. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the old the old police biplane squad. There, they got kicking around. It was clearly the 80s. <laughs> like, it was yeah. Just, yeah. It, well, it's funny that you talk about it being clearly the 80s because a lot of this stuff sounds to me like it, it could only exist in the year 1987. There's this great skateboarding video, like right in the middle of this movie for no reason. It's just, and this <laughs> Tony Hawk is in it. <laughs> like, it's, I thought really? it looked to me like Tony Hawk was actually doing some of the skateboard stunts for David Spade. But Spade was totally riding. Spade and Brian Backer are doing their own skateboarding for a large portion of it. And it was like, oh, all right, that's kind of neat. Unit 6 to Captain Harris. We've got him at the end of the alley. I got you now. You hold him right there. We're coming. Copeland, have you got him? You know, I think our bottom five speaks a lot to this. So I won't go into it too mm -hmm. much. But wow. Sure do police have a bad rep in, in cinema? You know what I mean? Like yeah. scene yeah. is so inept, so dunderheaded, so clueless. Well, and maybe that's because this was also a time when who are the other cops that we're seeing? We're seeing a lot of eighties action movie cops at the time. Yes. So we're seeing the Cobras. We're seeing the McLeans. Yeah. We're seeing all of these big action badass sunglasses motorcycle cop hero type rule breaking yeah right yeah and so this being almost a departure from that i don't know i don't know if i'm ready to say that boy america sure needed funny cops again come 1980 whatever the first movie came out is i don't know <laughs> but it is it is a little bit of a foil to the cobra thing in then maybe have, in the 80s maybe it might yeah, have been yeah that's what i that, mean you know you have, have these cops wearing their blue uniforms and they're kind of these these doofy yeah, you know bumble yeah. bumble around kind of knuckleheads I, I can see maybe having space for that in the time when really all you're getting is these badass rule breakers who are more criminal than than cop themselves yeah that was that's definitely carried over from the 70s you know, those yeah, 70s right. cop and movies the Serpicos with like Popeye and Doyle sure. and stuff like that. Like those were the rule breakers that would run down the bad right, guy, right? right? And, you know, it was yeah. Dirty Harry. You know what I mean? Like those exactly. types of things. Exactly. So, I mean. And then by the end of the decade, we, we come out with almost a perfect blend of the two when we get into the lethal weapons where we have these <laughs> badass tough guy cops right. who are also kind of funny and goofy and that's the direction yeah. that, that 48 things, hours that, exactly and and axel foley from beverly hills cop movies and stuff like that i look i, I think there's a long tradition of making fun of the police <laughs> like it seems yep. like using them as the as the butt of the joke is really something that has a lot of cinematic tradition to it and yeah. I don't know if we want to get too much into quote unquote liberal Hollywood and this sort of yeah, like sure. that whole thing. I, I personally don't really want to get too much into that 
But I feel as though the Police Academy movies were picking up on a tradition of just straight freaking ridicule, but with no real basis at all in any Mm -hmm. world of fact. This thing is a cartoon that is adolescent, completely adolescent in nature. (laughs) This is the death of humor right here. You know, like this is there's zero respect for police, police work, even though they're the good guys, Uh you know, and even though they're. Their values are are maybe decent. Their morality is maybe decent. Could I just, I'd not like to discuss with you something that'll be vital for you to know when you're like out there on the job as a police officer. And that's the correct way on how to eat a donut. A donut? Dan Chuck. Captain Harris? This moment on, anyone who misplaces their canister of mace will be reprimanded and fined. Is that clear? Yes, sir. I find what's interesting about Captain Harris too. We should talk a little bit about him. He's like the Dolores Umbridge of the Police Academy movies. Uh-huh. If you think yeah. about it, yeah. he <laughs> exists as the main bad guy even more than the villains of the third act. Right. Like if you're having a central dramatic structure to this movie, if there is one. Right. Yeah. It's Harris versus Lassard. Harris versus Gutenberg. Right. Like Gutenberg's primary role in this movie is to show up every 10 minutes and sass Captain Harris and then sort of look at him, you know, with a with a kind of crooked smile and like sad puppy dog eyes (laughs) and then walk away. (laughs) Like, that's it. Harris. It's surprising that's played by G.W. Bailey, who's who's not a young man in this. It seems like it was a very physical role. There was just a lot of like physical comedy. At one point he ends up in like rapids and he's getting pulled away. He and and his second in command there, uh, Proctor, which is the oh, he named they named the character Proctor. <laughs> I mean, of course they do. <laughs> so it's just it's all very juvenile at the end of the day. Um, it's all very silly. The story doesn't make any sense. The jokes are are very flat. They even recycled the old joke about a gay club that they wander into accidentally uh-huh. all the time. And uh-huh. then there's like always a bunch of gay dudes in leather, you know, with like yep. biker <laughs> biker outfits or whatever. And there's always this piece of music that goes. I remember growing up as a kid and always going. Not really understanding the context or anything. Uh, <laughs> but I think that a, a, a joke like that that gets replayed over and over and over again and tries to tries to land it by this fourth movie really does seem incredibly tired. And mm-hmm. what I found interesting in watching it 30 some odd years later is... This is a movie that I did watch quite a bit when I was a kid. I watched the 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 first four police caddy movies quite a bit and i think in particular yeah. number two and number four i don't know if there's some sort of star trek rationale where only the where only <laughs> the even movies are the good ones or whatever it's sort of the same for police academy i don't know if that's true but uh i really liked two and four i loved bodcat goathwaite zed character in these movies and everybody did oh did they uh, yeah i thought everybody it was super did funny. yeah you know? Yeah, you know, I mean, I have a similar experience to you growing up. I remember watching these. I remember even more fondly 
my kid brothers who are five years younger <laughs> than me watching them and really going for them. Cause like you said, they're cartoon. Yeah. It was almost the, like the eighties ski movie, but yeah. with police, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and just an, yeah, another like recycled version yeah. of that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Meatballs and juvenile all of those kind humor. of things. Yeah. That's really what it was. And so you use the word juvenile over and over yeah. again. And I think that's because I remember juveniles enjoying the movie so much. So uh, maybe that's what the target audience for these movies are. I guess I have to ask, you know, here you are. And, and I think you're right. We don't want to get too in the weeds on this stuff just because I'm not sure we're the right podcast for that. But here we are today. And I think that the police aren't funny anymore. Yeah, and yeah. it's, I don't know that you would or could or should make this kind of movie today, but I'm curious how watching this movie, you know, in our modern time affected your enjoyment of it one way or the other. It's puerile and idiotic to an adult's eyes. Mm -hmm. It's so idiotic, Mike, that it, it, it distances itself from reality. These aren't real police. So it's hard to kind of look at it and think, oh, these are somehow related to the police who are murdering people on the streets and getting away with yeah, it or whatever. Right. It was as if right. aliens were, were instructed to make a, uh, a cop movie, you know, based on <laughs> what they've picked up from interstellar space. And they were like, oh, yes, clearly this is what we would present. You know, it was just <laughs> like it does not it does not base itself in reality when the the commandant of the police academy is giving fish bowls with with goldfish in them to the other commandants from countries all over the world. And that's a gag, you know, right. you know it's just right. It's all so dumb. Do you dumb. think kids would still enjoy this? I think they might. <laughs> I think they might. I, I was thinking about it. It's funny. Nostalgia plays such a huge role in how we remember movies as good or bad or whatever. And I was thinking about the movie Bachelor Party with Tom Hanks, which was a movie that he made very early in his career that I always had very, very positive feelings about that I really enjoyed and I went to watch Bachelor Party maybe five years ago. It was considered one of my favorite comedies just in my mind, but I hadn't watched it in a while. Threw it on, didn't make it through it, and actually got rid wow. of my DVD copy. It was just <laughs> lousy. <laughs> you purged it from your life. <laughs> I would I would summarize the whole experience of watching this movie again as making contact with an old friend from grade school. Yeah. And yeah. then finding out that all of the things that were funny about that friend are now no longer all that funny. <laughs> <laughs> so Police Academy 4 is like that Facebook struggle where you're like, do I accept the the friend request from this kid I went to junior high with? Or is he possibly a fucking nightmare and I don't want him anywhere near my life? Police Academy 4, steeped in nostalgia... Doesn't look as good 35 years later. Has nothing to do with our current situation with the police. It It's so far removed from any of that that I honestly can't say that that has any effect. And yes, I would say children may still watch this, you know, especially probably early adolescence. If, if only for that Leslie Easterbrook popping out of water in the wet t-shirt shot. <laughs>
Three, two, one. Well, for this episode, we decided to do bottom five cops. My approach this time around was not to simply discuss bad cops in movies. That just seemed way too challenging for a ranking as there are just so many. And, mm -hmm. you know, as we've discussed in this climate of Blue Lives Matter versus the mass reported abuse of power and cowardice of some police, I didn't want to go in depth of my personal feelings about the badge. So instead, I went the way of embarrassing stupid police, the kinds of cops uh -huh. that are just so incredibly inept, they seem like they might exist alongside the idiots from Police Academy. <laughs> Essentially, my list of bottom five cops mostly doesn't deal with evil people. It counts off most inept, petty, and stupid police this side of Commandant Lassard's Academy. What was your take here? And what is your number five? I did something kind of similar. I thought about the different ways that cops are presented in movies and tried to come up with one pick for sort of each of those archetypes. Oh, okay. So Got it. Okay. For yeah. my number five, I'm going with the idiot cop. And my pick for this is uh, Officer Migliariti from the 1976 movie The Little Girl Who Lived Down the Lane, starring a 13-year-old Jodie Foster. Jody Foster. And Martin yeah. Sheen, right? This is the Martin That's Sheen right. Movie? Oh, wow. Yes. Holy. Martin Sheen, who plays the town's pedophile yeah. that, like, everybody knows, yeah. like, oh, you got to stay away from him. He's a total perv. <laughs> and, like, everybody in town is just kind of openly cool with, ah, uh, he's just a perv. You got to leave him alone, which I don't know what fucking town that is. But it's the same town that is policed by this cop that keeps popping by the house. Jodie Foster plays this little girl. It's like a Pippi Longstocking situation. <laughs> There is no parent in the yeah. house. It's just her in this big New England house. And she keeps convincing everybody that her father's around here somewhere. Mm -hmm. And this cop, this well-meaning cop shows up. And this 13-year-old is like, nah, he's upstairs. Nah, he's taking a nap. Nah, he's busy. And this guy's like, <laughs> yeah, okay, I'll come back later. And and you're, you're sitting here thinking like, how is anybody falling for this? Yeah. How is an officer of the law not being like, Yes, 13-year-old child, but I would like to see the adult in the house. This culminates, and I shit yeah. you not, in the most shockingly ludicrous Mrs. Doubtfire move where this teenager that Jodie Foster has befriended puts on mm -hmm. like an old man mm -hmm. disguise, like Johnny Knoxville putting on the old man yeah. makeup in a jackass movie, yep. and he comes down the stairs and he's like, pip, pip, I, I say. And this, this cop totally buys it it's like so oh bad. there's the dad i guess oh man it's so bad it's really worth watching for the martin sheen performance because this yeah, is young martin sheen and so uh, he, you know he plays a villain in it he's really and jodie foster as a 13 year old is mind-blowing but yeah. officer migliariti as the 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 local italian cop which they point out a couple yeah, of times yeah. who <laughs> Who, who can't talk his way around a 13-year-old or a teenager in a rubber mask, I think clearly for me qualifies as a bottom five cop uh, and, and my representative of the idiot cop. Ah, that's a great type. one. Yeah. Just keeping on the theme with idiot cops, my number five is Deputy Henry Hank Halick from the 1985 comedy Moving Violations. And... While the cop in this somewhat obscure movie is crooked as a dog's hind leg, it's not the deputy here 
and his plan to impound and sell cars of some of the worst drivers ever that has me popping him onto my list at number five. No, it's that this silly, petty, and weird deputy has one of the most punchable faces in all of cinema. (laughs) He's played by James Keach, who's the brother of similarly punchably faced Stacey Keach. Who, uh-huh. who himself was best known as Detective Mike Hammer. But he's the main bad guy in Moving Violations. And he's even more irritating than Dan Murray, who is the brother of Bill Murray, who inexplicably is the lead in this sort of police academy style comedy. But James Keach, he's pretty memorable as he inflicts driver's education torment on this colorful group of flunkies, which include an early career turn by Jennifer Tilly who mm. looked mighty lovely in this movie. So she's <laughs> pretty pretty damn funny. And then the, this cop character is also getting it on with his tough-as-nails partner, played by Lisa Hart Carroll. He's annoying. He's he's smarmy. He's, he's just got that typical 80s villain sneer. Yeah. And he's a cop. Yeah. So this is a dumb movie that tries to make hay out of Bill Murray's popularity by getting his younger brother to play a variation of him. But... You know, I have to admit, I still really like it, and it's painfully, wonderfully 80s title theme song. (laughs) I've never even you never even heard of it oh it's so it's so much fun to watch it's tough to find but let's just say that when you mention this bottom five cops list this guy was one of the first i mean he's a dirty cop but it's more just his 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 80s punchability (laughs) well well speaking of punchable 80s cops the first one that popped to mind for me was my number four the asshole cop oh yeah and I think that we are offered no better version of the asshole cop than perhaps Sheriff Teasel from 1982's First Blood, played oh. by the always amazing Brian Dennehy. Such a great choice. You, uh, you visiting somebody around here? You know, wearing that flag on that jacket, looking the way you do. You're asking for trouble around here, friend. Headed north or south? North. Now jump in. I'll make sure you're heading the right direction, huh? He's the cop that pushed Rambo just a little too hard. Yeah. Drives him to the edge of town, tells him to get a haircut and a shower. Yep. Arrests Rambo on nothing. They take him back to the prison. They kind of rough him up a little bit. You know, the, the other cops in town are assholes. They send Rambo into a rage. Yeah. He has starts having flashbacks of Vietnam, decides that he's been pushed as far as he's going to be pushed. And the next thing you know, the sheriff is chasing Rambo through the wilderness and blowing up the town, all because he's such a fucking egotistical asshole that he can't back down to this guy who he's a soldier and, and he served his country and he came back. You know, the movie has a lot to say about Vietnam and all of that, mm-hmm. but Cinema offers us a lot of asshole cops, this power hungry, small town piece of shit. Yeah. And I think there's no better example. I, Brian Dennehy is a serious fucking actor yeah. who 
I think took what could have been a very dumb movie and elevated it by oh, taking sure. the role of I've actually read the novel the Rambo novel is a a pretty decent read and I think by having a real legit powerhouse actor in this role he goes from being just sort of a villain to being an all-time asshole yeah for sure yeah and so that's that's my representative for the asshole especially the small town asshole yeah, cop, yeah. which we get a lot of in cinema, but I don't think anybody ever did it better than he did. I don't know. Funny enough, my number four is also an asshole cop, but it would be none other than Buford T. Justice from Smokey and the Bandit, Jackie Gleason's <laughs> classic. I mean, as yeah. soon as you mentioned this list, he was the first thing I thought of, and he is a total asshole, okay. right? Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, I, yep. I just immediately heard the voice that Louisiana kind of drawl of Jackie mm-hmm. Gleason in a role that would define him to our generation. You know, our parents' generation sure. knew him as Ralph Cramden from The Honeymooners and stuff. But right. for us, it was pretty much, you know, we would think of Buford T. Justice. I saw that, you son of a bitch! You did that on purpose! You go to wait your grave! I got the evidence. Put the evidence in the car. But, but Daddy, you but that... put the evidence in the car. I gotta barbecue your ass in molasses. Burt Reynolds has, uh, <laughs> he's got a buddy named Snowman that's driving a truck full of cores. And weirdly, <laughs> cores was illegal in several states. And so this was contraband. So that's what they were trying to pursue and bandit. Burt Reynolds' character it runs interference and sort of gets the law to follow him and keeps it off the yep. truck. And then <laughs> and then the rest of the movie is a chase where he just doesn't care about jurisdiction. He doesn't care about his responsibilities as an officer. Everything is personal. And he just follows him across 20 states <laughs> as his car <laughs> just gets picked to pieces. And that's how you visually see just how impossibly inept Buford T. Justice is. <laughs> yeah, he's kind of the fun version of, of, of Sheriff of Cecil, Sher- yes. right? He's the, and that's yeah. that was really the, where my the list mad, mostly, The madcap one. Most of my list lives on the fun because that's what Police Academy, you know. So I just yeah, sure. kind of stayed away from the other stuff. <laughs> well, I definitely didn't stay away from the other stuff with my next pick, The Corrupt Cop. Yeah, yeah. Last week, we name-dropped Denzel Washington in Training Day. Obviously, he won the Academy Award for it. I think the argument could be made then that he is the corruptiest cop in all of cinema, perhaps. But (laughs) I think he pales in comparison to a character that, for me, epitomizes the corrupt movie cop. And that's Gary Oldman's DEA agent, Norman Stansfield in Leon the The Professional. Professional. This dude is insane. He's a violent, raging (laughs) cokehead who murders a little girl's family and and then spends the whole movie coming after the little girl. I like these calm little moments before the storm. It reminds me of Beethoven. (sighs) Can you hear it? It's like... When you put your head to the grass, uh, you can hear it crawling. Uh, you can hear the insects. Uh. 
you like Beethoven? Couldn't really say. I'm gonna play his song. This is an all-time Gary Oldman performance. Oh, for sure. It's so big and la- I mean, it's Gary Oldman on coke yeah. the whole time. Yeah. It might even be an all-time movie villain performance. It is. Never mind just the cop thing. This is a bad, bad man. Yeah. He's not even hiding that he's no, corrupt. No, no, not even a little he's bit. He's just yeah. doing what he wants in full view of everyone, and he has the power to get away with it. So for me, this is probably my least fun pick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's just he's he's just a nasty son of a bitch, and so I didn't think I could go through a list of bad cops without including this guy in it. So that's my representative for the corrupt cop. He's he's absolutely an essential if you're going to make a list like this and and take the kind of approach you did with archetypes and yep. stuff. Professionals, one of my all time favorites, at least top fifteen movies and. The very ending of that film was Jean Reno when he kind of gets his revenge, so to speak, you mm-hmm. know, but it comes at a, at a very big cost, let's just say. Yeah. That sequence really is so incredibly emotional yet satisfying, enormously satisfying. And it's very difficult to have a villain that wretched and that awful and then feel mm-hmm. satisfied when they get theirs, you know, kind of like yeah, that, right. the, the end of Die Hard when he pulls the watch yeah. and falls. When Get off my plane, Harrison Ford. <laughs> exactly. Which was Gary Oldman the... in that one too, which is uh-huh. funny. Yeah, that's right. That's like, yeah. yeah that's, Gary yep. Oldman has played some phenomenal villains over the years. If you mm-hmm. think of like Zorg mm-hmm. from The Fifth Element as well, you of know, course, I mean, yeah. just some awesome, awesome villain. But I, I do think that this one is, is, Maybe a high point in his career, which is funny because it kind of came at the low point of his career. But yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. yeah, awesome stuff. Well, mine is a corrupt cop as well in the number three. So we seem to be oh good. I seem to be actually following yours, but the lighter version because mine is <laughs> Lieutenant Lois Einhorn slash Ray Finkel from Ace Ventura: oh. Pet Detective. Oh you know. no! What's it say about the police profession when the writers of Ace Ventura: Pet Detective thought? That the best, most plausible destination for disgraced ex-Miami Dolphins kicker Ray Finkel was to change genders and, surprise, become a lieutenant in the Miami police force. Like, I always enjoyed this comedy as it largely deals in absurdity that's winningly wrangled by the human cartoon that is Jim Carrey. Uh But one thing that always struck me as too wild was the twist that Einhorn is Finkel. Einhorn is Finkel. Finkel is Einhorn. I think that the 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 twist when I was a kid, when I was watching yeah. it, I almost didn't get it. Oh yeah, because I was like, "Well, well wait, you were what do you mean?" Because yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, and and so you know, it it was a female actress playing Einhorn. Right. So there was almost this physical comedy gag where Finkel was this butch masculine right, football player right. and now there's a very like clearly a different human right right, right. I, my whole problem with the movie was the twist because i couldn't yeah. i couldn't understand how a washed up nfl kicker becomes a high-ranking police officer <laughs> like uh-huh. like in the yeah. intervening decade yeah, was, or so that was your problem with ace ventura it was. that was the part I, dead that... <laughs> serious yeah like and, and he changes gender to boot like which was kind of like your thing where you were confused by it but i'm just thinking like her ability to rise in the ranks despite clearly being next level deranged 
was just a bridge uh-huh. too far for me to cross <laughs> like when I was yeah. watching this. And she like abuses her power, pins the whole thing on Ace. You know what I mean? And it, it look, this movie now is viewed through a lens of being really like insensitive toward uh, yeah, trans. I mean, trans. I think it's a fair. I, I don't. It's a fair criticism. I don't because it was pretty much. It was pretty much. Well, specifically the sequence where. Jim Carrey's character discovers He's like sobbing in the yeah, shower. And yeah. His, because it's yeah, all, all it's that. all directly parodying the crying game to the point where the crying game, uh-huh. ha- the song is playing over the sequence. It's a hundred percent making fun of that sequence, but amping it up a level uh-huh. because it's, it, it's a stupid fucking sequence in a stupid fucking movie that has you more crying. Game it has so more bad. trans. It has more transphobia in it. Than yeah. than yeah. anything in Ace Ventura. Ace Ventura was a parody of it, and it uses the same twist. And whether you like that twist yeah, or not, I get it. I, I, no, and I think I think I think you're right. I mean, I think that a I lot think of it gets people very unfair treatment. There was no way that the audience for Ace Ventura was going to get that that scene was parodying the crying. How game. couldn't they get it? It's just a weird it, reference. It literally is strange... playing it over the scene. It's the same scene. Yeah. So if you yeah, you know, I, I mean, it, it, if it didn't I, fly I would as say a joke, that a fine, lot but... of people that view that scene the way that is it is often criticized and i can understand why i think that a very small portion of that nah. viewing audience knows that it's a reference to the crying game yeah. when i was a kid i didn't know that you know what i mean and i don't know that how many people were enjoying ace ventura when it came out and also really could tell you that th- that was from the crying game and i still think a lot of people probably don't know that that's a reference to the crying game. I don't think that a lot of people realize that. And so I, I think they see the scene and they, it, it looks just patently yeah. homophobic or transphobic. Yeah. And I think that it is, but not for the reason that people think that it is. <laughs> it is because the crying game is. Yes, right? exactly. That's correct. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's right. Yeah. I guess my thing is that this movie gets the blame for a lot of shit that another movie <laughs> didn't get any blame for, but got a lot yeah. of accolades for. And uh-huh. I call bullshit on that. Alrighty then. My next bad cop here is I get down into my number two spot. It seems like I had to have somewhere on here the evil prison guard, the ruthless, terrible, evil prison guard. And so for me, I think look no further than Clancy Brown as the detestable Mm -hmm. Captain Hadley and Frank Darabont's 1994 prison classic, The Shawshank Redemption. There might not be a character anywhere on film easier to hate than Captain Hadley. He's the sadistic, nasty thug that, Warden Norton uses as his muscle to hurt other people while hiding behind his Bible. What is Warden Norton says he believes in what the Bible and discipline, right? And, and, and what he means by discipline is captain Hadley will beat you to death and I will turn a blind eye to it. And Hadley does that. He gets his jollies on beating prisoners. He beats a, a prisoner to death. He straight up murders people. He's the kind of character that you spend the whole movie wanting to punch in the face Mm. and again he gets his comeuppance in the end Mm -hmm. but not in a way that is especially satisfying not so much in the same way that warden norton who eats a bullet rather than face the consequences even that you feel like well he took the coward's way out you know i I really would have liked to see him get his Mm -hmm. hadley 
you know is going to end up in the prison with the prisoners yeah. that he's yeah, 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 yeah. been abusing yeah. so long. So he does get his comeuppance in a way. But for me, the evil prison guard is, I think, perfectly epitomized yeah. by Clancy Brown in that performance. Yeah, I can't think of anybody that would be better than than that particular. Yeah, for sure. I, I thought a little bit about The Green Mile. Sure, and same. I, another yeah, I, another Stephen King. When you first King, started Stephen talking, King. I thought that's the one you were going with. But then yeah, I was like, Percy oh, Westcott. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah and, and he was a real son of a bitch, too. You yeah, know, he was the guy that sure. didn't, he didn't set up the electric chair right and he was mm-hmm. he was a real coward and just a, like a real shitty yeah. evil weasel kind of a guy but for me i think more in that classic yeah, prison absolutely. guard kind of way the tormentor i, I yeah. couldn't leave yeah yeah yep, i couldn't leave clancy brown off the list for sure so great choice he, he's my he's my evil prison guard yeah i don't have an evil prison guard <laughs> It's hard to make that. There's not a funny prison there's not, guard. There's not a fun but inept prison guard that I could think of anyway. So in this case, what I went with instead at my number two was a group of police that definitely informed the Police Academy movies, but about a solid 70 or so years prior. And from 1912 to 1917, a series of movies were made with, of course, the Keystone Cops, right? Mm-hmm. The name itself yeah. is synonymous with police ineptitude. So Max Sennett's Keystone Cops pictures are, pardon the pun, the key element in the Police Academy's movie's DNA. Yeah. Bumbling through slapstick scenario after scenario, the Keystone Cops were usually featured as background characters and showcases for silent film era stars like Charlie Chaplin and Fatty Arbuckle. But in 1914, Chaplin starred as Keystone Cop himself in a one-reel, 10-minute comedy caper called A Thief Catcher, which is my Keystone pick for this bottom five, since we have to have one movie, right? So, <laughs> so <laughs> well, uh, I mean, rules. <laughs> rules, rules. <laughs> but appearing at the six-minute mark, Chaplin bosses everyone around before getting smacked in the face with a shovel and a gag typical of the cop shtick. The usual MO for these silent comedies was that the cops would show up as a gaggle in a skidding patrol car that would typically lose a few members of the squad during the way around some hairpin turns. And then they'd be outsmarted by some dimwit crooks, usually falling down like bowling pins when one of them is hit or perhaps blowing themselves up while still in the police station. Clumsy, buffoonish, and cartoony, these cops are to this day the definition of sloppy police work. So to me, a solid entry and number two with the Keystone cops. Big time. Yeah. I'm glad you got it on there because I, I didn't go that route. Yeah. <laughs> well, for my number one, I just could not skip the killer cop. Oh yeah. Film has given us a lot of killer cops. And for my money, none have done it better than Bill Lustig's 1988 classic maniac mm-hmm. cop a movie about a killer ex-cop returned from the dead and seeking revenge on pretty much anyone with a pulse it's a cult classic with an incredibly 80s cast the tom atkins i could walk away right there yep, tom atkins that's all you need this movie that's he, it. he almost made my movie. list for night of the creeps yeah sure oh, well, yeah of course richard roundtree bruce the chin Campbell and Robert 
No, seriously, the fucking chin, Zadar. Oh, yeah. Any cop who can out-chin Bruce Campbell <laughs> is on my radar. Robert Zadar, yeah. for those who don't know, is the 80s character actor with this huge jawline. jawline. It was yeah. a, a physical deformity, but he had this gigantic jaw. He played a lot of tough guys. He played a lot of heavies. Mm-hmm. And in this, he plays the cop that comes back from the dead and, and murders everybody. He kills 19 people (laughs) in less than an hour and a half. That's one death almost every four and a half minutes in Maniac Cop. And we're talking about like breaking necks, beating people to death, some real Bobby Zadar shit. Like not just hacking people up Jason Voorhees style. No, he gets... He gets pretty. He's creative. like a, he's got a meat grinder for paws, you know, like his. Fists oh, yeah. Are like, yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh huh. Yeah. Some really great stunt work by Bruce Campbell in this movie. Bruce <laughs> Campbell bails out of a, a truck that's like flying off a pier. And when you watch it, this is Bruce Campbell bailing out of a truck as it <laughs> as it goes over the uh, the edge of the pier. I love Maniac Cop. It is so fun. Bill Lustig was a guy that just fucking loved making schlocky mm-hmm. movies in the 1980s sure. and so for me at number one i'm going with the classic maniac that's cop. Uh, it's such a, a perfect pick for the killer cop i mean like how can you get any better than maniac cop it's perfect i have killer cops at my number one it's the only pick that is a comedy but was kind of dark and it was mm. 1974's freebie and the bean even mentioning this Flick makes the un-PC crowd get their collective Woody going. Because it's it's this is a crass, ugly, stupid, and to our current eyes, grossly racist and misogynistic, not to mention hobo and transphobic movie. You know, this yeah. it's noisy and angry and it's fucking asinine Ugh. buddy cop movie. It's the kind of inverse of Blues Brothers where we follow these two anti-hero cops instead of musicians who just reign little more than destruction in their wake while on a mission, not from God, but from one very apoplectic police chief, right? Uh, It's plot, if you could even suggest there is one, involves a mismatched pair of idiot cops, one named Freebie, who's a risk-taking moron who uses his badge for lightweight extortion, and the other named Bean, a Mexican American, yeah. So uh-huh. yeah, right. Uh, oh good. And they, oh, good. yeah, right. And they and they punch and crash their way through the 1970s San Francisco while trying to protect a racketeer targeted for assassination. It's got two A-listers in, as Freebie and the Bean. Freebie's played by James Caan. Alan Arkin plays Bean not Mexican-American, I might add. Uh-huh. Neither is his wife, who's a Valerie Harper. Your thing was gone from the closet. In the bathroom. In the bathroom closet. What thing is that? Now, what thing? The I, thing, what, the what thing. thing? What thing? Tell me what thing. The goddamn thing. I keep gone. a lot of things in there. My makeup, you know my lash curler. Don't crap my, what are you me. talking you about? You know exactly what I'm talking about. Your thing was gone. You have to tell me what thing. The bus an hour. Ha, Adam Arkin said it all in his summation of the movie when he was asked about it in a 1974 interview with People magazine. It's garbage. 
The movie is the template for dozens of buddy cop movies that followed, you know, like 48 Hours, Lethal Weapon, Bad Boy, some of the ones that you mentioned. But these two characters are kind of the worst. They're brain dead, punch first and ask questions later. They have zero interest in actually protecting and serving. And instead, they're always fretting about them getting theirs, whether it's pensions or sex or Mm. new coats or whatever else. It's all these stupid dialogue that goes on between Khan and Arkin most of it looks made up it feels like poor improvisation as far as movie cops go these good guys are among the worst that i've ever been asked to tolerate or root for you know they're more cousins to denzel washington's crooked training day character than eddie murphy's axel foley who while a rule breaker at least represented some level of moral compass throughout everything here is a joke or something to be taken lightly And I kind of picked this one because I'm tired of when a movie like this gets pulled up and says, it's a forgotten classic when people knew how to make good humor. Right. Yeah. Back when it was cool to treat people like shit. But now it's time to talk about movies that we definitely do like our staff picks. Mike, what do you got for us this week? Jason, I think I have a new favorite bad movie. You mean out of all of the ones you've seen, you have a new... This might be my new favorite bad movie. Oh, I'm intrigued. I saw it for the first time at the Coolidge Theater, presented by the American Genre Film Archive, which is this organization that's trying to bring some of these forgotten films back into the eyeballs of uh, the movie-going population. It was presented by the guy that got me into bad movies in the first place, Mr. Joe Bob Briggs himself. (laughs) Nice. I got to go to the Coolidge and see Joe Bob and watch 1988's The Brain, directed by a guy named Ed Hunt, who has done nothing, (laughs) starring a guy named Tom Bresnahan, who went on to do nothing, (laughs) but memorably a performance by David Gale, who we all know best as Dr. Hill from Reanimator, where he plays the reanimated severed head, he manages to have a reanimated severed head in this movie as well. (laughs) The Brain, Jason, is a movie that has zero exposition. It is about this doctor, uh, Dr. Anthony Blakey, who's got a television show that is sweeping this small town where it's called Independent Thought. He wants everybody to think for themselves. Meanwhile, there is a giant evil brain back in the lab that is sending brain waves through the television show, brainwashing everybody in town. The movie never fucking tells you why. It doesn't tell you what the brain's motivations are, what it comes from, what Dr. Blakely wants. Any of this shit doesn't matter. It's just there's a giant fucking brain. Everybody's in, in brainwashed in town. And poor... Poor, poor, poor Jim is now accused of being the town murderer and everybody is chasing him all over this town. <laughs> it is so much fucking fun. Uh. I I mean, chase scenes where like the overweight orderly is like running on <laughs> foot trying to catch a car and the running on foot lasts a lot longer than it should <laughs> so that you can kind of see the actor running out of breath <laughs> while he's running. 
or or chase scenes up and down the same flight of stairs a lot. This sounds a lot like like a dream. Are you sure this really happened? Because it sounds... I'm positive. (laughs) I saw it in a room full of other humans. It was so fun. It was everything I want in a bad movie. Cheesy performances, cheesy special effects, very light on plot. I just, I knew exactly what was happening. There's an evil brain. It's taking over this town. So if you want like a really great, like this, I wish we had watched this in your basement back in the day. Cause this is the (laughs) ultimate for me, bad movie night with friends. So 1988's (laughs) the brain, it is so much fun. Man, did we go in totally separate (laughs) directions with our staff picks this week? Oh no. I, in observance of the 25th anniversary of this movie's release, chose Contact. <laughs> oh, okay. You Good love boy. this movie more than anyone movie. I know. Look, there was a recent. You're like no. There was a recent Vulture article detailing the long production history of the movie, which essentially took about 20 years to bring to the screen. I had no idea about any of that. As big a fan as I am of it, I had no clue mm-hmm. how difficult the production history was for it and how you know linda opes the producer at one point had lost the project basically moving from one studio to another only to later inherit it by chance you know it's just one of these strange hollywood stories and then to have george miller you know the the mad max you know babe the Uh pig director just he was attached and working on this film for quite some time and then was fired by Warner Brothers and replaced by Zemeckis. This morning's detection of an unidentified radio source from deep space can neither be confirmed nor denied. Whatever it is, it ain't local. Position? I checked interferometry somewhere in Lyra, I think. Uh, Vega? Can't be. It's only 26 light years away. I want all these people out of here. Your having sent this announcement all over the world may well constitute a breach of national security. This isn't a person-to-person call. This may be an announcement to get our attention. The president has called an emergency meeting. You know those interlaced frames that we thought were noise? This says structure. The one that always stands out for me in this cast of pretty, pretty big people is William Fitner who just brought a completely different side of his screen versatility as like a gentle blind colleague of Ellie's with a sharp sense of hearing and just as sharp a sense of humor because there's this one great, and I think it's an ad lib. I couldn't, I didn't see anything about this, but it feels like one. But at one point he walks in and he walks by James Woods's character and he says, nice to smell you again, Mr. Kitts. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and James Woods looks <laughs> caught off, but caught off guard by it. And he's like, you too, like that. And then he says something like, yeah. wouldn't have pegged him as a polo man, <laughs> like as an aside. <laughs> and it's just this great little, little bit, you know, um, the story was by Carl Sagan and his wife, uh, Andrewian. And it goes pretty heavy on science, but it goes even heavier on character. And it builds out a really compelling and for, for me anyway, satisfying narrative that feels like a more logical way that quote unquote first contact might happen. It also balances issues of faith with the empiricism of science and the weird intersection between the two where the answers to questions are not always clear or rational. So the ending of course is much debated and and it's a pretty maligned finish as well that finds Ellie conversing with her father on a galactic beach. And I find it brainy and bold 
But if you're looking for simple answers, maybe if you haven't seen this one already, just don't. Maybe sit it out. It's a movie that I really, I associate this movie with you. (laughs) You're kind of a goddamn genius, Santo. Every now and again, you're like, here's this fucking thing that only I give a shit about. And then I watch it and I was like, God damn it, he's right. Again, he's right. Mike, about a year ago, you made a little bit of bad cinema history yourself by earning last place (laughs) in an annual tournament you helped create for another podcast. That tournament, which is firing up once again over at the Film Spotting Podcast, is called Film Spotting Madness. Well, each year during Film Spotting Madness, you, Film Spotting hosts Josh Larson and Adam Kempinar, and their producer, Sam Van Hallgren, have a private competition going where the person with the winning bracket doesn't earn anything but bragging rights. But the loser, <laughs> well, the loser has to watch the latest Adam Sandler movie. And usually it's some Netflix piece of junk, right? Because Happy Madison <laughs> has some sort of production deal with, with Netflix that apparently has proved to be very lucrative. But in recent years, Sandler has been upping his game in fair like Uncut Gems and 2022's Hustle. So the decision was the loser had to watch the latest Happy Madison production. And oh my God, does it sound terrible. Mike, you lost big during that last film spotting madness. So you're the one that got assigned home team. A cinematic debacle by definition, if ever there was one. Yeah, the only thing worse than a shitty Adam Sandler comedy is a shitty Adam Sandler comedy that Adam Sandler isn't even in. Yeah, Kevin James. Like, so bad, he's not... Yeah, I guess this is... So, I don't know if it's based on real events or whatever. It's the New Orleans Uh, What I didn't know... Yeah, Kevin James as Coach Sean Payton coaching his sixth grade football team... Jesus Christ. So here's the thing. Yes. For the first time in our podcast, you're not giving me a movie. Somebody else is. And so for next week's episode, I am going to pay the dealer (laughs) and watch Home Team starring Kevin James and for some goddamn reason, Taylor Lautner. <laughs> Rob Schneider, this might of be course. our first step into the Schneider. Yeah, the Schneider verse. Oh my I god. I don't know. So, Mike, all that said, then what are we doing for the bottom five? What do you think? I'm thinking I'm thinking bottom five teams. <laughs> Big brain. Yeah. Big brain here. <laughs> we're we're swinging for the fences. Look, if I gotta watch this movie, it doesn't mean I gotta bring the thunder on the bottom five, right? I, yeah. Bottom I, five, Sean Payton biopics that adam sandler ran the fuck away from that i had to watch because of losing a bet go go no yeah bottom five teams teams is the easiest thing that we could do i don't know if we're gonna stick to just sports teams (laughs) i wouldn't i I can tell you right now i'm not going to (laughs) maybe i'll try i don't know maybe i'll try we'll see yeah either way i'm 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 looking forward to this i think it's a, a fun thing that is happening to me and I, I look forward to sending it over to the guys over at Film Spotting and having their crowd listen in and hopefully maybe come over and check us out as well. That would be cool. So uh, I hope that everybody will come back and join us when I will be reviewing Home Team. Until then, we have been your hosts. I am Mike. And I am Jay.
We'll see you next time. Simnate, hoću znat sve kate, vježbat ću sate i sate Karate, karate, ne znaću dok zadnji mi kjaj Get Gutenbergy with it. I would like Gutenbergy with it. Na 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 Gutenbergy with it. Na 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 Gutenbergy with it. <laughs> We're gonna get sued. <laughs>